Are you ready? Yeah, let's do it. Hey guys, I'm Amanda. And I'm Jen. And And you're you're listening listening to Fathomless. another history with amanda day fathomless a true crime and mystery and history podcast i'm so excited today will be history yeah we're very (laughs) dark history today yeah i love me some dark history and it is it's all mysterious and fathomless and weird in this area a lot of spooky scary um weird shit weird shit today's not necessarily spooky but it is scary I know it sounds weird because they're both basically the same thing, but you'll well, see. Something what I mean. can be scary without being spooky. Exactly. Uh, but today we're going to talk about the Great Molasses Flood, which I don't know if people who are outside of New England really know about this. Uh, one of my friends did say that he had heard about it, but it was just kind of like a brief. We learned like about it in book. history in like elementary school and yeah. they like never mentioned it ever again. It is. So I'm ready to relearn. No, it is. It is fun. So, I mean, it's fun. It's, it's not fun. It sounds fucking terrible. Honestly, it really does. I don't think it was um, fun for those people. But the title speaks for itself. It was the Great Molasses Flood. Uh, this was a massive disaster in Boston caused by the negligence of a giant corporation. So, you know. A tale as old as time. Uh, <laughs> oh my god. Tale as old as time. True as it can be. The great molasses flood. I don't I I, I can't come up with something else on a whim. But yeah, I think uh, of a word that rhymes with flood. It's something uh, yeah, and has to do with evil corporations. So <laughs> oh my god. I, I can't think that quickly right now. <laughs> we're also but, songwriters here on Fathomless. Yeah, we're great. I do I I and I shouldn't say I'm a songwriter. I just take pop songs and just change the lyrics to go to my cats and their names. Yeah, so, same here. It's it's not it's not really. Great. If you don't have songs for your cats, are you're not you, really living. Are you a true cat owner? You're not. Or your dogs? If for any of your pets, really, they love it. Kaylee loves when I sing to her. She gets that look on her face, like shut the fuck up. <laughs> I'll eat you one day. She like you. She's the queen of like the side eye. I'm yep. like, she's sick so of my judgmental. Sh- so judgmental. <laughs> if you ever had a black hat, you oh, know. Yeah. Oh yeah. They are judgy McJudge pants. Good God. All right. Teach All right, me so about molasses. So yeah, molasses. there was a flood. There was molasses, which Say molasses. Molasses. <laughs> That's how I've been saying it the whole time we've been talking about it. Molasses. <laughs> molasses. <laughs> I just had three listeners just shut it off right now. <laughs> They're like, all right. <laughs> I could go for the next rest of this podcast yeah. just saying molasses. 45 minutes <laughs> and me just saying molasses. Molasses. I will give it to you guys. <laughs> so anyway, we're going to be talking about that weird syrupy shit that you make gingerbread cookies with. And this tragedy actually happened on January 15th, 1919. <laughs> what? That was so funny. <laughs> <laughs> that shit you make gingerbread cookies. 
It's like exactly what I have in my notes. You're getting all serious to talk about how like molasses killed a bunch of people. It did 20, 21 people died in this. And you throw that piece in. Okay. I'm sorry. I I am one of those people that when I get very uncomfortable with things or it's something that's like, like death, tragedy, I, I cope with it by throwing comedy in there because I don't know what else to do and I I don't know if it's just because I didn't I don't know I took a sip of my drink at that point in time and like choked on it yeah (laughs) that was so funny I like made a weird noise I don't know if the mic picked it up it might have we'll leave it in okay (laughs) so anyway this tragedy happened on January 15th 1919 and at the time it was a actually pretty much the most major disaster in the city and it led to the largest class action lawsuit in massachusetts at the time which is pretty cool we'll get into the the lawsuit later um so the flood happened in the city's north end which is one of the oldest neighborhoods in boston and it also has the best pizza Uh in the united states i'm not going to say the world because i'm sure italy blows us out of the water but New York, about you can sit the fuck Regina? down. Yes, of course. Okay. Any other place? No. Pizzeria Regina. Huh. The OG one in the North End in Boston. Yep, with their original brick oven. Amazing. Uh, but before the best pizza place ever, or actually seven years before the best pizza place ever opened up on Thatcher Street in the North End, the entire neighborhood endured this catastrophic event, which I thought was a fun little fact. Seven years before Pizzeria Regina opened, because everyone correlates the Great Molasses Flood. Anyone in Massachusetts does <laughs> Pizzeria Regina. Somebody's nodding right now. They're like, "Yep," sitting in their car, like, good. "Hell yes, <laughs> it's the best stuff." And someone else is like, "What is wrong with you people?" <laughs> well, what, once you have pizza from Pizzeria Regina, you'll know. Oh my god, you will it's transcend to heaven. a new world. Seriously, and you will understand. You will hear like a beautiful Italian opera ballad just singing <laughs> in your head as you take your first bite. Your hand will automatically yeah. go up in that. Yeah. Some guy just starts singing like an aria. He's just like, <laughs> it's going to be magical. So magical. And you can thank us for that. So much We're really getting off track. I'm so sorry. So sorry, guys. So, uh, to really make it sad now um yeah this this entire tragedy it leveled buildings bridges people were trapped hundreds of people got trapped and 21 people lost their lives about 150 160 some reports said were injured so what even is molasses do you know isn't it like sugar it is so it is the refined leftover product that you get from sugar cane when you make granulated sugar okay we're gonna get a little sciencey in here because i was curious and a lot of the like of course like a lot of the videos and stuff i watched on it they're like what is molasses as like the start of it so you know what you asked me that and i was like wait what is molasses exactly you're like is like what is it like maple syrup like what but no, I I knew like molasses and white sugar equals brown sugar. Yes. So basically what happens is to make granulated sugar, like the sugar that you'd put in your coffee every day, 
uh, you basically take sugarcane and you press it to extract those juices. And then you boil those juices down. And when you boil it down, you get two products. Crystallized sugar, which becomes granulated sugar when you, you know, crush it up and make it into little granules. And basically this like light colored syrup that when you boil it down a second and then a third time to refine it becomes molasses. So there you go. Just a little little bit of science for you. It is incredibly thick and incredibly sticky. And we're going to talk a little bit more about like the viscosity of it a little bit later when we get more into the flood. Uh, and I'm going to do my damn best to explain that. Because um, I, uh, I failed physics in high school. So, Miss well, Melville, I hope I do you proud. I, I've never been asked the viscosity of a liquid of molasses yeah well we're gonna talk about it so now you know uh so we're gonna actually start our timeline in 1915 and we're gonna begin by talking about a little company called the united states industrial alcohol company and its subsidiary purity distilling company so these were the two main companies involved in this issue basically the main company is u.s industrial alcohol but Purity Distilling Company was the, the main men on the ground in the North End who built this vat of molasses that ends up exploding in the middle of the North End. And the United States Industrial Alcohol Company was one of the largest manufacturers of alcohol in the U.S. And it wasn't just for just drinking alcohol. It was like everything. They actually also made smokeless explosives, which I thought was crazy. <clears throat> sorry I guess you can like get that out of like the methanol and the ethanol that is made when you're distilling liquor into or okay. distilling like fruits and shit into alcohol uh so with the temperance movement gaining more of a following which we talked a little bit about the temperance movement in our St. Valentine's Day massacre episode that was the movement that kind of started before the prohibition era came into effect the temperance movement was basically a bunch of people who thought that alcohol was ruining America. Okay. They thought that it was bad for you and that it poisoned you, which it is, it's poison. And that it, you know, caused you to make immoral decisions. So they wanted to get rid of it, which eventually led to the U.S. Prohibition Law, which was going to be going into effect soon. This is 1915, doesn't go into effect until 1918, 1919. But, like, obviously there were things talking about it. It was getting, you know, it was getting kind of bad. So companies were prepping to make sure, like, they knew that at some point they might not be able to make this liquor anymore. So they were kind of bulking up on all their shit and making as much of it as they could before the laws went into effect. And the Purity Distilling Company wanted to make as much money selling liquor as quickly as possible before anything like that happened. So they decided that they needed to build a massive holding tank. And I didn't really know much about the distilling process. So I wanted to look into it a little, little bit. And it turns out you have to be fucking Bill Nye the Sky and Sky to make liquor. This was pretty fucking intense. It wasn't super intense, but enough that I was like, well, damn, I feel like a chemist now after like knowing all of it. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to go make my own alcohol. Oh, my God. I would not. We would immediately <laughs> die of fucking methane poisoning. Like, didn't, didn't that happen? That did. People? Yeah. That a lot of people got 
very, very ill trying to make their own liquor. You can get very, very sick doing it. I mean, think about it. You could do it wrong and make fucking rubbing alcohol, basically. You can't drink that shit. Yeah. It'd be terrible. I wouldn't even try and make my own beer. Probably just give us all food poisoning. But like I said, um, I'm going to do my best to explain all like the science behind this stuff, but I was not a super great science kid. Um, so Miss Melville, I hope I do you proud. She was my physics and chemistry teacher. So <laughs> I don't remember shit from high school physics and chemistry. So don't even don't even sweat it. Thank you. Couldn't tell you anything. But uh, most of my stuff, obviously, I got from the internet, but I wanted to give, like, a brief description of the distilling process because I thought it was kind of interesting. Um, but alcohol distilling is basically just a separation of alcoholic liquors from fermented materials. So yeast gets added to a mixture of water and a mash of, like, some kind of fruit grains or something like that. In this case, it's molasses. Um, sometimes it's corn, wheat, rye, different things like that. And they add uh, fermenting substance, usually like yeast of some kind, uh, any, anything that's going to kind of get that bacteria growing. You know what I mean? And basically what happens is the yeast mixes with the sugars and that is converted into alcohol. That's like the simplest explanation of it ever. Um, so this process is used to make all kinds of alcoholic beverages, vodka, gin, rum, tequila, and a bunch of other things as well. Um, all of these liquors are distilled from grains and basically that's that's what they wanted to do was they wanted to make this giant ass vat so they could fill it with as much molasses as possible so that they could create as much alcohol as they could in as quickly as time as they possibly could. So the Purity Distilling Company started making plans for this giant vat. It was going to be 90 feet in diameter and 50 feet high, which just for example is about the size of a five-story apartment building. Yeah, I was going to say that's pretty big. It's pretty big. And like 90 feet in diameter, so that's 90 feet across. So that's pretty damn big for this giant-ass circular vat. Um, The tank would actually hold up to 2 million gallons of molasses. That's a lot of molasses. A little bit over, but right around 2 million gallons. That's a lot of molasses. And the project manager was the company's financial advisor, Arthur Gell, a man who had absolutely no engineering background or experience with architectural design whatsoever. Okay. But, you know, who really needs that shit anyway? No. Not at all. That was, that was me being sarcastic, guys, by the way. I was raised by a man who has two engineering degrees, so I know it is very important. But uh, I'm sure that's not going to surprise you. And I'm also sure it's not going to surprise you guys that our boy Art actually cut several corners during the entire construction process. Uh, it was actually found out in, in 2014 by some MIT students who started investigating the Great Molasses Flood that the steel that was used to build the tank was about half the thickness that it should have been for a structure of that size to hold that amount of liquid. But so, the guy knew what he was doing. Oh, he, 100%. Yeah. You know, financial advisor. I'm sure fine. he saved a ton of money on metal. <laughs> and 
before construction was even finished and they had done any safety tests, Arthur actually placed an order for 70,000 gallons of molasses to be delivered to Boston. Which, like, bro, that's kind of, you don't, don't count your chickens before they hatch. Like, he just was looking he for just this financial for gain. Money, looking for that financial gain, exactly. Yeah. And in order to expedite the p- completion and get that molasses in the tank as quickly as possible so it didn't just sit on a truck, um, they decided that they just needed to forego any safety tests beforehand. Um, so normally with a tank like this or when you're building any kind of tank that's going to hold some kind of liquid, uh, once it's built, you want to fill it up with water at least halfway to make sure that nothing's leaking, that the structure is sound, that everything's going okay. They just went in and filled it with they molasses? Just, they just went right in and filled that shit up with molasses. <laughs> um, so, you know. They just skipped right over all that. And it didn't take the neighborhood long to become very concerned with their new 50-foot syrupy landmark just looming over them. Uh, It was widely reported that the tank would make loud groaning and creaking noises. Which I would be packing my shit right up. Terrifying. (laughs) It also leaked constantly. Uh, It was so bad that people from around Boston would actually come by with buckets and jars and just collect the free molasses that was coming down because sugar was actually taxed very high. It was very expensive. So to have free molasses right around the block, amazing. Now, when the constant leaking and weird groaning and creaking noises that made it sound like the whole thing was just going to burst right open, uh, when they brought this to the attention of the company and everyone started saying like, hey, this might not be structurally sound. Do you have an idea of what Purity Distilling Company did? No. Enlighten me. Uh, I mean, would you would think that they would, you know, empty the tank and no, of check course it not. for leaks and figure out what was going on. They're telling people, don't worry. You ready? You've got this under control. They painted the tank brown to hide the leaking molasses. Yep. Okay. <laughs> Jen's just speechless. Oh, just paint it brown. Yep, so they just painted it brown to hide the fucking leaking molasses out of the side of it. Noises? There's no noises coming from the tank. That's fine. <laughs> I live in a city. There's noises everywhere. So that is, uh, yeah, that was how they handled that. So I'm going to kind of talk about the viscosity of molasses now um again i'm gonna do my best so molasses is actually a non-newtonian fluid meaning that its viscosity depends on the forces applied to it as measured by a sheer rate so in simpler terms um basically a common example of a non-newtonian fluid would be motor oil it's fairly thick when it's just sitting in the bottle itself And then when you pour it into your engine, turn your car on, it heats up and it starts getting pushed through your engine. The viscosity changes. It actually becomes thinner. Makes sense. Molasses works the same way. So if it's heated up or pressure is really applied to it or it gets really agitated, it becomes thinner and more viscous, like flows more. Um, So just keep that in mind as we talk about what happens in the next uh, the next moment. So it's January 14th, 1919. 
Tank's been making all these weird noises for a couple of years. They just keep painting it brown, hiding the molasses, and acting like everything's fine. There was about one million gallons of molasses sitting in the tank that had been there the entire winter in New England. So cold. So cold, cold molasses and thick. Then, that morning, a train arrived from the Caribbean with 1.5 million gallons of molasses. Hot and ready to be put into the tank. Got it. So, and this came from the Caribbean. It's been on a train traveling. Like, it was, it had a significantly higher temperature than the molasses that was currently in the tank. So, when those two met, it actually started creating a chemical reaction and started building up gases inside the tank. What? That's crazy. I was like, something's going to happen with, like, they're going to pour that hot molasses on the cold molasses, and it's not going to be good. So, it actually started like bacteria started kind of building up, which caused gases to build up in the tank, which changes the pressure. The next day, all fucking hell broke loose. So it was January 15th, 1919. It was around 1230 in the afternoon. It was actually a really pretty day. Even though it was January, it was unseasonably warm, and it was about 45 degrees outside. So with the warm weather as well, after it had been freezing, Things just started fucking bubbling up in there. Got it. And it was, like I said, it was around 1230. And that's when the residents noticed that this 50-foot tall, 90-foot wide, giant metal-ass tank exploded. Wonderful. Literally exploded. People said that basically it was there one minute, boom, it was gone, and there was a wall of molasses coming at them next. It sent, that is like it sent pieces of steel and rivets and I was bolts gonna, into the building surrounding it. I was gonna say like that must have like hit people too. Like we were yeah. just walking about. Like forget the molasses coming at you. Like what what happened? To Dude, forget the molasses. Pieces were- of metal that are probably sharded now. Yeah. So after the metal shrapnel, there was a twenty-five foot weight stop of molasses that is terrifying. cascading down the street. 26 million pounds of molasses. There was 2.5 million gallons in that tank. How fast was it moving? 35 miles an oh hour. Oh my god. Yep. That's yeah. in, that's scary. Entire, you can't outrun that. Entire homes were destroyed. A building was actually ripped off its foundation, dragged 100 feet, and almost dumped into the Boston Harbor. Oh my god. Um, rescue took over four hours because people couldn't even get to the North End and everyone that was in the North End was stuck knee deep in fucking molasses. 21 people died from drowning as well as being crushed. Do you imagine drowning in in molasses? molasses. Um, Over 150 people were injured as well as countless animals, specifically horses, which... Fucking broke my heart, but that was one of the main transportation. I, why do we have to bring animals into this? Sorry, guys, <sighs> forgot the trigger warning. But there was also animals that, un- that unfortunately warning. were in this as well. Um, a hundred and sixteen cadets from Mass Maritime were docked nearby and were sent to aid in the rescue and cleanup immediately. 
um, people were wading knee deep through the syrup and trying to pull bodies out from the degree and or de- debris. I don't know why I said degree. Jesus Christ. It's okay. I fuck up debris. talking constantly. <laughs> of goo. Um, this is a little creepy too. So witnesses said that some of the bodies were so glazed over with molasses that they were unrecognizable. What? Yeah. That's so weird. Like they were like just so covered in it and it was just glazed over their faces that you couldn't even tell what their features were. They were just covered in it. Uh, cleanup in the North End took over six months. I was going to say, how do you clean up they, all that molasses? Are you ready what do you for do with they it? They soaked it up with sand and washed it into the harbor. The Boston Harbor was brown until the following summer. Oh my God. Yeah. Which also the Boston Harbor is the most seasoned body of water ever between the tea party and the molasses i bet it's nice and sweet and tastes good it definitely does not taste good no i mean do you remember not go drink water from the boston harbor if you remember anything from episode number one yeah don't go near the boston harbor yeah there's been bodies yep there was a lot a little bit of tea a little bit of molasses a little bit of death a lot of bit of death. I wouldn't want to drink that. Which I just, ugh. So now we're going to talk about, you know, the aftermath of all of this. Almost immediately, the Purity Distilling Company tried to blame the disaster on some mysterious criminal who was attempting to sabotage the company. Uh, okay. They really didn't want to take the blame at all. Uh, little, little fun fact for you guys. That was not the case. <laughs> uh, the community basically just, you know, tried to say that they had no idea that this giant hazardous tank was going to implode. So someone must have sabotaged it and caused this. Uh, obviously, the town did not agree with that. And they demanded that the city investigate. Uh, so... The investigation started and it basically created the, like I said, the largest class action lawsuit in Massachusetts history at the time. Uh, After three years in court, the United States Industrial Alcohol Company was found responsible due to negligence and ultimately had to pay out $628,000 in damages. That's a lot of money today. So it it actually had 2021 well, price for all, adjusted for yeah. inflation, $9.8 million. I mean, I believe it. All those people got fucking trapped and died. And- yeah. So that actually ended up coming out to $7,000 per family of the victims, uh, which in today's money would have been $109,000, which is still pretty good. I mean, obviously, it's terrible that these people had to lose their loved ones due to the fact that a company just wanted to cut some corners, make some quick fucking cash. Paint it brown. Uh, hide the, I don't hide know if the that leakage. Sounds familiar to you guys with any other things that are going on right now? Ohio. What? Ohio. Okay. Oh, Ohio. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Yeah. Totally not why I wanted to cover this. <laughs> All right. Stepping off my soapbox. <laughs> so. Hey, um, we, you can share opinions on here. We just just wanted to point out we that just, exactly like we, we just don't stand on the soapbox. We just don't stand on the soapbox. Companies are, uh, 
you but know, it's fine. Cutting corners to fuck us over. <laughs> Happens everywhere. Uh, but to this day, the Great Molasses Flood is considered one of the catalysts that actually helped pave the way for modern corporate regulation, which obviously still isn't much of anything. Uh, but, you know, at least we're not making giant vats of syrup that are exploding everywhere anymore. Now it's just toxic chemicals. <laughs> hey, God. we had to so, exchange it for but, something. But, oh, God, I feel like people would have preferred molasses. I... So I don't know. It sounds equally as terrifying. I think it's all terrifying. Maybe we just shouldn't have things explode and cause giant catastrophes. But today in the North End, there is a little league field and some bocce courts located where the tank once stood. I was going to ask. I was like, where, like, is this, is the tank still, like, obviously non-exploded? But like, Yeah, the tank's not there anymore. But there is, uh, like I said, little, a baseball little league field, field and... Little league field and some bocce courts, and is there like a memorial? There is a plaque there commemorating the horrible incident. And I actually found a picture from the I want to say it was the Boston Globe, it might have been the Herald, it was one of the newspapers up there. And uh, it was a picture of on the hundredth anniversary of it in 2019, a group of individuals actually stood in the little league field in the basically the circumference of what the tank was the size of the tank so i'm going to post that on instagram i thought that was kind of cool so you could see like one how big it was i thought that was an interesting way for them to kind of they like had like an article with it kind of commemorating the whole story and it was a hundred year anniversary and stuff so it was pretty cool um and yeah there is the plaque and it's honoring those 21 individuals who lost their lives that day um and people say to this day that on a really hot day or a wicked hot day, a really hot day, a wicked hot day in the summertime in Boston, it does it smell like molasses? You can smell molasses. I don't know if that's true. I've never smelled molasses in the summertime there, but I remember hearing that a lot as a child. And I was like, whoa, molasses. <laughs> oh my like, God. I had to do it one more time. <laughs> Had to throw it in there. <laughs> Sorry, guys. I mean, I feel like it washed away by now. Oh, it definitely did. But I thought that was like a fun little thing that people Something say. Something they like, say. You can still smell the molasses to this day. Like it's just sitting in some sewer somewhere, still like bubbling away. <laughs> I mean, but, I mean, it, it does. That should smell doesn't like expire for forever. So it took them six months to clean it up. Yep. Can't believe they Which just pushed just, it. Yeah, the they, they just pushed it. They basically soaked up as much of it as they could with sand and then hosed it all into the harbor. Crazy. So. They probably couldn't get it off a lot of shit. Yeah. Like, how long did it take to, like, rescue people? Because wouldn't the rescuers get stuck in the molasses? That's exactly what. That's why it took four, um, over four hours on that day. And then there was still, you know, they were still pulling things out. The cleanup still continued for months after that. But there was 150 individuals that were stuck that were pulled out and brought to hospitals. And then there was the 21 individuals who lost their lives. Oh it did not God. say whether all 21 were found on that first day or if they were pulling molasses bodies out. Probably. Yeah. Which that's what I'm thinking was more than likely what happened. But obviously it was 1919. So they, they there isn't as much documentation. No. 
about that that kind of stuff. You know, they weren't putting it in the newspaper every day. But yeah, it was that's horrible. Just terrible. Terrible. I mean, people got stuck in their homes, stuck in their cars, stuck in buildings. You imagine being stuck in a building. The, the building that was moving had people inside of it. And the, the one that got Throwing carried a 100 feet oh almost God. into the harbor. Can you imagine being in a building that just gets picked up off its foundation and just moved? A giant By river of molasses. I don't think I've ever said molasses more in like a half hour than I have right now. I do kind of want to make gingerbread cookies, though. Molasses. I think I have some in my pantry. Where to look? <sighs> Well, but that is it, guys. I hope you enjoyed it. Was, I hope, yeah. <laughs> I know we learned about it, but like relearning it as an adult, I'm like, holy shit. Yeah. What it's, the fuck? Yeah. You look into it and you're like, oh my God, this is terrifying. I I hope I never drown in molasses because that sounds horrible. I know what I'm dreaming That'd about like tonight. <laughs> quicksand, which like, I mean, we all know I was one of those kids who was mortified of Quicksand like, as a kid. Thought it was going to be Bennington, a huge problem as an ben- adult. A huge <laughs> problem in, bending, in the Bennington Triangle. Yeah. yeah. Oh, my God. The man-eating rock. rock. Basically Quicksand. turns into molasses. Yeah. Hate that. Swallows the hole. Yeah. Anything anything like that. Any In that consistency <laughs> I to thought that. quicksand was going to be a huge problem. <laughs> I did. I don't know why. Seven-year-old me would be really disappointed if she met 30-year-old me. And I was like, nah, man, never came across quicksand once. Sorry. Does quicksand really exist? Yeah. Like, where? It's So, basically, it's it's not even, like, the Is way it's called. Question? It's a phenomenon where it's, like, it has something to do with, like, underground, like, groundwater and, like, basically, like, sinkholes. Okay. That's a that's like the shittiest explanation ever of it, but you know what? We'll do some googling after we're done People recording are probably this, listening and I'll, this, and they're like, t- they're like, this Jesus Christ, doesn't Amanda. know sinkholes are real. Wait, Amanda just <laughs> gave the shittiest explanation. Yeah, it's like a hole that like sinks and like it. It, it just does, yeah. I, just, I remember it has something to do with groundwater. It has something to do with that. My dad could totally explain it to us way better. You know, he's smart as shit. How do you get out of quicksand? Uh, fucking you just get pulled out. <laughs> yeah, honestly, that is, I mean, in the movies, there's always some kind of vine next to you that you can grab and climb out, unless some type of vine. Yeah, yeah because I'm gonna be in the jungle yep. in quicksand, vines just there next to me. Unless there's that, I don't know. I can't remember the name of the movie. It's escaping me. Someone will tell me. I'll have to look it up after this. But that. I don't know if you saw, there's a traumatizing movie as a child where their horse gets stuck in the quicksand. And it's not even quicksand, it's like mud. And he's trying to pull the horse out, and the horse does not make it. And it's terrible. But I remember seeing that as a kid and being super upset and being like, oh my God, I gotta figure out how to deal with this shit. <laughs> like, it's it traumatizing. Oh I know. So, yeah. I like look back on like things I watched as a child, and I'm like, like, Today, like, couldn't get through Bambi. Like, oh, so, God. No, terrible. Won't be I able would be to so do it. sad. Yeah. Just shit like that. I'm like, who let me watch this as a child? Because now I, like, I'm emotionally, like, I used I to can't cry. Deal with it. Yeah. My parents, my dad said that I would cry and that, like, I would think that the forest fire was real. And I would be like, does that really happen? And of course, he wasn't like, no, forest fires aren't real. He was like, yeah, that really happens. That happens. 
fucking five-year-old me is just traumatized. I was traumatized by um, Homeward Bound. Oh, my God. I remember the, the shadow se- dies. No, it's the scene from one of the movies where the ho- one of the houses is on fire. <gasps> Do you remember oh, that? Yep. The house yeah, is like a round they, front. When they um it's when the guy throws his cigarette out the window yeah. and it goes into the grass. I vividly wow. Yep. Fucking unlocked so a memory. I remember as like a small child, I had like a bag that I would keep packed. I was like fucking four, so it was full of stuffed animals. But Jen I would... and I explaining where our trauma <laughs> comes from and our anxiety. <laughs> so uh, this this podcast got personal for a minute um but no i would keep a bag by the door so if my house ever caught fire. caught fire i could just have my bag of importance by the door and God. i wouldn't have to worry about it i could just grab my bag and go it's terrible yeah it's terrible yeah <laughs> another thing i thought i'd have to deal with more bermuda triangle <laughs> yeah yeah yep never had to fly but, through uh, that no we got the Bridgewater I- triangle <laughs> In the Bennington Triangle. Yeah. But we go through those. I haven't been to the Bennington Triangle, but we go through the Bridgewater Triangle a lot. Yeah. The Bermuda Triangle. I thought that was going to be a I huge problem in my life. I'm terrified of the uh, red-headed hitchhiker. Oh, yeah. We're going to yeah. talk about that with the... Uh... Yeah. That's like the one Oof. where I'm like, <gasps> I will I not drive. Right on, like did, right um... off of that stretch of 44, too. I will not drive. I Never mean, I have no reason to be down there now or ever before, but... I think like we drove like up and down that road one time. And I'm like, yeah. <gasps> well, we're gonna take a trip over there though. This uh, when the weather gets warmer, we're gonna go over there. I want to take it to Juan Rock. We're gonna go to the Dighton Rock. We're gonna do some uh little dark tourism before we do our multi-part series on the Bridgewater Triangle. Yeah, we gotta start. Dipping. Everyone keeps that. They're like, when are you gonna do it? And I'm like, oh god, I relax. It's I promise coming. it's coming out. <laughs> I want to. It's, do it's it gonna be right. like eight parts, though. I'm. I hope you guys are prepared for it. It's basically gonna be like a whole other series on the show because I am diving deep. Oh yeah, I'm we're diving dead. deep. We're diving I deep. Already, I already started some research on like the Algonquin tribes, Wampanoags, and like wanted to get into like that and the King Philip's War because that is basically. What I feel saturated like that's, that's the foundation yeah. of the Bridgewater Triangle. Exactly. So, so I feel like. We're gonna to do a under- whole episode on that. That to should really be like how you start it. Yeah, that's gonna be the history. Yeah, that's what we're gonna do. At least that's how I feel like it should go. That should be episode one of it. Yeah. No. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly what I meant. To start with that because that's just the whole background. That's why the yep. land is so so messed haunted. up. Spooky. Spooky. Scary. But we're just gonna end it at that because we are now just rambling. And I mean, there, is there any other? childhood trauma you want to bring up (laughs) (laughs) how much time do we got oh my god well (laughs) just kidding guys no no no. all right well we hope you stay spooky stay scary and and stay stay safe. safe